Welcome to Emerge Dynamics. Emerge Dynamics. The podcast for those who manage and invest in middle market private companies across the globe. globe. We're telling the stories of the unsung champions who take enormous risks every day to weave the fabric of our societies. Those who collectively, from the multi-trillion dollar largest market on the planet, we're diving into the dynamics of what makes some of them emerge from their peers and create incredible returns and impact on their communities. This is Emerge Dynamics. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Emerge Dynamics podcast. I'm David Cusimano here with Eric Wingerter. Hey, David. How you doing? Good. I'm doing great, Eric, and uh, excited about a new topic to be talking about today. A new series of things that we're going into. Yes. 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 And this is a topic where, I don't know if I want to say tread lightly. I don't want to tread lightly, but I want to tread cautiously. Cautiously, yes. Because uh, it's something that's new to us, but we think it's so important and really seems to be that this is something that's going to be changing the world, already changing the world, yeah. and maybe coming upon us and and the businesses of the world very fast, yes. very soon. Yes. It's already starting and maybe picking up traction. So it's something we, we can't really wait to talk about. Uh, <laughs> both we can't wait because we're excited and can't wait because you may be the victim of uh, progress if you, don't, if you wait. That topic is, you know, what do we say, Eric? We say, is it, it's really, is it Web 3.0? And is that the umbrella term and there are things underneath it? Such as- certainly that's one of the, the terms that's out there, David, that is, is how, are, how is the internet going to transform? Uh, what's mm-hmm. the next level of, of, of the internet and our means of transacting mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the internet? And Web 3.0 is a term that, because they're saying the start of the internet was Web mm-hmm. 1.0 and then kind of we're in this Web 2.0 version where we're doing a lot more intermediary exchange transactions. No longer exchange. just an online billboard. That was right, 1.0. right. Uh, that was 1.0. Right. It was like a you know a, a digital marketing uh, right. tool. Then we got into the actual transactional and connectivity relational mm-hmm. side of thing. And then 3.0 is being how does that transform where all of these intermediaries that we use on a regular basis are going to be digitized, if you will, and, and streamlined. And so what does that mean for those intermediaries? Yes. And what does it mean for us who are transacting using the internet? And so within that, we hear terms like blockchain, DeFi, DeFi. which is decentralized right. finance, yeah. cryptocurrency, right? All, all part tokenization. of that. Tokenization, right? All yeah. part of that world, all things that we want to want to Smart contracts. Today. Smart <laughs> contracts, exactly, yes. And I think, Eric, what we can do before we get deep into that, I think it's important because we want to keep in mind, like we said in our last episode, is that there are so many people who've covered all of those terms we just threw out just now, way deeper than we can and way more technically than we can. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we have that much to add. I, I don't know that I can tell you, you know, here's the better way to code a cryptocurrency. I don't even know. But I think what we do need to do is talk about how this will affect business owners. Yeah. Practically speaking, what are the implications or potential implications of this in the way that we act or interchange as business people? That's right. And to to give us enough framework around that Mm -hmm. so that we can we can start to have more intelligent conversations about it with ourselves and with our teams and then. In specific areas, okay, where do I need to focus and who do I need to help me to focus in those particular areas? 
Absolutely. And so I was thinking what we can do, Eric, is maybe before we dive into those things, I mean, I guess because we are the Emerge Dynamics podcast, we're talking about how business businesses can emerge <laughs> from their peers. Yeah. And really, what about this can help us arm us with that, right? Uh, and, and so I think before we dive into those things, let's let's go back to basics just for a bit. Yeah. And talk about money, because I think that sets us up pretty well for why this whole revolution in decentralized finance is happening. Yes. And as business people, we deal with money all the time. Obviously, right? Yeah. Everything yeah. we do, every, deals with every money. transaction that we, as business people, or, or on the personal level, involves the exchange of money. But very few of us understand, I think, what money is and its functions. And what's nice is in a well functioning society, we don't have to understand the mechanics of the money all that much. We can just do our business. Yeah. What we're seeing now, though, is this revolution, evolution, revolution in decentralized finance is happening because the part of our society dealing with money right now has, has got some problems. Yeah. Right. And, and it's because of, and so we need to understand as business people, what's wrong with the money, the state of the money in the world today? Yeah. And how could it be better? Right. And I think that starts by going back to basics. Yeah. Well, so what is money? What's the purpose of money? So yeah. what I'll do, Eric, I'm thinking is I want to run through. I used to teach economics courses. Yeah, yeah, you're, and, you're the economist. And we had multiple classes just on this exact topic. I'm going to maybe, it's been a while though, so I'm a little rusty, <laughs> but I'm going to reference out of a book here. This is a fantastic book. Sifadin Amos, I hope I'm getting the pronunciation right, wrote a book called The Bitcoin Standard. Even if you're not a Bitcoin fan, the first two thirds, three quarters of the book is called, is all it's not about, about Bitcoin. It's yeah. not even yeah. about Bitcoin. Yeah. It's about it, money. It's yeah. about money. And yeah. he takes us through the history of money, what money is. So I'm going to use some things in here. And he's referencing some fantastic economists. He's a good economist. He's referencing economists who came before him. So I'm going to kind of draw on this as we go through and make this kind of conversational. But for anybody interested, highly recommend the book. The subtitle of the book is The Decentralized Alternative to Central Banking. Gives you a clue as to where we're going with this. Exactly. So way back when, primitive times, right? Human beings interacted with what we call direct exchange, right? Eric, you you make shoes, I make cheese, when you need cheese, you come to me. I give you the cheese, you give me shoes, yeah. right? When you need, you don't need cheese, you need some clothes, you go find the person in the village who's got clothes, right? This all seems to work really well as long as we can always line up a coincidence of wants. Yeah. Like you happen to like cheese and that's, and so you want my cheese, I want your shoes. As long <laughs> as we can do that, we get to exchange with yeah. each other, right? It turns out, though, this is incredibly limiting yeah. for the for human development because yeah. there's a lot of problems with this. And I, I remember when I was young, my mother getting frustrated with you know money in the world and just saying, you know, this is so frustrating. I wish we could all just go back to barter. It has to be so much better. And at the time as a kid, I said, oh, money seems frustrating. Maybe it would be a simpler, nicer life. And now that I understand what I understand, like, no, you don't. You do not want to go back. It would not be better. And so the problems of barter is when we break down to that coincidence of wants, there's, there's three things we can break that down into. Not only do we have to have a coincidence in wants, but it really involves, we have to have a coincidence in location. Mm-hmm. Like in a barter world, you and I have to be in the same place. Right. In right. order to make an exchange happen. Right. right? We have to have a coincidence in time frame. Right. I have yeah. to happen to want shoes at the time at the, at same, the same time. time that you're hungry. Yeah. Right. 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 And so, this is, and also coincidence in scales. Right. right? Yeah. What, what's my, what are my right. shoes really the same value 
Exactly. Yeah. Like you had to put maybe four days into the shoes, or how many days I put into my cheese. And, and let's, to make it more extreme, as something I've, an example I've used with my students in classes is, let's say I've figured out how to make buildings with steel structures. They withstand hurricanes so well. You know, it's just, it's a superior building here. And people say, that's great. I would like one. But the problem is I make steel bars and you make shoes, right? How many shoes equals a steel bar? Turns out nobody- oh, nobody, shoes nobody, on the workers building that building to- uh, Right, <laughs> not many people need 5,000 pairs of shoes, but that might be what's equivalent to yeah. some steel bars. So you see, like this is an actual problem in human development. Until we get over these problems, society can't develop very much on an economic right. scale. So it's very primitive. I mean, really, I think, so the way around this is to go from direct exchange to indirect, indirect. exchange. Right. Indirect exchange is when we have some other medium of exchange that we use, that we use for the sake of exchanging with other goods. Right. Right. So right. we can think of a medium of exchange as not being a consumption good, which we acquire to consume, mm-hmm. or an investment good, which we acquire to, to invest, to, 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 invest to get a return on. Mm-hmm. It's actually a good that we usually acquire just for the purpose of exchanging for something else. Mm-hmm. So some third good that I know I can exchange for other things and you know you can exchange for other things, then you don't have to be hungry for cheese. And, exactly at the same uh, right. time, right? in the same place, and with the same exchange value. <laughs> Right then and there of another good. Exactly. Yeah. And so now say so suddenly we can get over it with this, this medium, this third indirect exchange allows us to get over these hurdles. Right. So then right. the question becomes, well, what things make something a good medium of exchange? And it starts to get into, we need to understand this and know, understand the debacle we're in today and maybe some better right. solutions in the right. future. Right. So does that then really speak to what is the purpose of that other medium right. of right. exchange, so, which we call today Money is money, right? Yeah. And and money is anything that we use for yeah. meaning. And you could use anything. There's no right or wrong money. Money can be anything that we freely choose to use as a medium of exchange. Yeah. Now, it turns out decisions have consequences, and <laughs> using some forms of money are definitely worse than others. Right. And so, to address that, Carl Menger, um, who is often referred to as the father of the Austrian school of economics, the Austrian school really does a good job of articulating these concepts. He identified money has to have a property of saleability in order to be a good, in quotes. You can't, people in the audience can't see my fingers, but uh, <laughs> uh, saleability. And, and, and so what does that mean? It means that, you know, it's the ease with which money can be sold on the market without losing its price. And you say, well, duh, of course. It, it sounds very simple, but actually when you think about how important that is, money has to be something that allows us to be, it has to be saleable across scales, across space, across time, right. right? So I have to have confidence that when I take my money to a distant land, it still has the same value it has now, right? I have to be confident I can divide my money, right, into different things. And so money that that addresses all those is often becomes a money that can be very good, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's all sorts of monies that societies have used, shells, salt, you know, cattle, Lately, it's government paper. We'll talk about that in a little Gold. bit, right? Gold has also become one, and we're going to really dive into that in just a second here. So the primary, I don't know if it's the primary, there's, 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 we think of three really functions that oh, money right. has to serve, right? And the top one is it has to be a good, in addition to medium of exchange, we already said that one, right? The yeah. next one that's really important and starts to get at the crux of the dilemma we're in now 
is store of value. It's store of value, yeah. right? You have to be confident that if I exchange my cheese for something, for the, some money today with you, I get nothing in return but the money. I'm not going to get your shoes necessarily right now. Just the, right. The, be confident that later I can go spend this money on something else. It still has the same value I thought it had. Right. right? So we can't have our money rot. We can't have our money die, right? So using cattle as money. Not good. Doesn't get you very far. Societies have done it, and they were limited in their in their economic progress, right? And so we need money that doesn't rot, doesn't die. You know, it withstands the test of time. But even if we have a money that physically doesn't die, doesn't rot, doesn't corrode, there's still another problem, and that is money that you can make more of it, right? So if today there's a hundred, I don't know, Eric coins out there that were being used in our community, they're Extremely valuable, by the way. I mean, well, yeah. well, now they are. But <laughs> let's say you do a deal with me, and then you have a way to make a thousand more Eric coins. Right. So after I sold my cheese to you, I got a few Eric coins. Now there's thousands more of them out there. Now the value of each of my coins has gone down. When I go into the world later in time, I can no longer redeem these for the same value, right? So. And that becomes the crux of the monetary problems we're having now is when you can freely make more and more of this stuff, you get problems. The value yeah, of value each individual unit continue. goes down. Yeah. And we can think of this as the, the stock to flow ratio is something that allows us to understand how you may have heard terms like hard money and easy money, mm-hmm. right? Easy money is money that you can get more of it really easily. You can create more of it really easily. Hard money is money that's really hard to make more of, right? So when we look at the stock to flow ratio, something that the existing stock compared to how much more of it's being created, that ratio gives us an idea of how much this money is going to hold its value. How stable it is. Right? So to contrast things of, you know, today versus let's talk about, so, well, actually let's finish up the next unit and then let's go into what has a high stock to flow ratio? That's right. going to lead us down right. a direction. Right. The last one yeah. is so, so we, we medium of exchange, yep. store of value. Yep. And lastly, lastly, unit of account. Unit of account. Right. Mm-hmm. That one we're not going to dive into right now, but it, I don't want to diminish its importance. But yeah. you have it, to like if you and I are trying to trade and and we're trying to figure out like how much profit did we make in our business today? Well, we got seven chickens and you know thirty two shirts and five chairs, and so we're pretty profitable at that. It's incredibly difficult to know if your business is creating sustainable value, if that's how you have to measure things. Much easier to just know, well, we made 1,800 Eric coins today or whatever, rye stones today, right? You've got a unit of account. You can start understanding how value is translating in your society. Right. Super valuable. So society went through all sorts of things, and and we can— uh, they tried out as money, and the history is fascinating. If you want to read the book, it dives into it. But society ends up arriving at silver and gold for the most part over thousands of years. Mm-hmm. And there's some reasons for that. It's not like we could have picked copper, we could have picked lumber, but we just picked gold. Turns out it would seem that the creator of the world maybe made gold with certain characteristics to make it an ideal thing for this, right? Gold, it turns out, is almost indestructible, almost impossible. It may be impossible to create. You can't go in a laboratory and make Make gold, gold. right? And it's very rare, right? And it doesn't corrode. And so it's maybe some chemists can let us know there are other things that will corrode better, but maybe something else does too, but gold does not corrode. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, gold ended up being, in history, the Mm -hmm. most valuable money 
out there, a hard, and, and also a very hard money, with yeah. even hard versus yeah. easy money. No, knowing that it was one of three things that were provided a very significant event in life, gold, frankincense, that's and right. I would I'd say, yeah. there's probably something to yeah, that. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's Absolutely. Right. And, I, and actually, if you read the book, the author goes into the history and actually in the Roman Empire when they were using gold coins at the time and right, right. when Jesus' birth happened. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. this, is, this is gold coins were just starting to come on the scene. Yeah. And uh, actually, there's some biblical things I've heard. This is a, a side topic, but as to, you know, some of the progress in the Roman Empire allowed Jesus's message to be able to get out because now, of course, if he's God, he could have done anything he wanted. But <laughs> but society had gotten to the economic progress at that time that somebody with an amazing message could spread throughout the whole world. Right. right? right. And before that, in history of the civilization, that would have been much no, more difficult. difficult. Right. So we arrive at silver and gold. So. Let's, Eric, pause here, and there's much more to the story. Yeah. So let's wrap up now this episode. So, folks, if you want to hear the rest of the story, which you're going to want to because the crux is coming, tune in next time. We're going to get the story and bring it up to, therefore, where are we now in society, what are the challenges, and maybe what could be some better solutions. Absolutely. Look forward to it. (laughs) 